The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Something we have been talking about and we'll continue to talk about on the show today are two stories that I think have a connection. One is these protests in Ballinrobe at plans to house asylum seekers in the area. Protests that are not no not any longer um, going to go ahead because it will not be young men. It's going to be families uh, in the area. And then the record number of Irish people seeking a better life abroad, specifically in Australia. And why I think they are connected is that one of the refrains that we keep hearing from anti-migrant protests is that, of course, we should welcome those who are genuinely seeking asylum, but that far too many people who come here, particularly these, those young men, unvetted men of fighting age, are the kind of dreaded, dreaded economic migrant. You know, they're not fleeing persecution. They're just here to make money. And I wonder how many Irish people on Bondi Beach uh, today are fleeing persecution. Exactly none, um, I would wager. They're economic migrants, every single one of them. And look, I, before you text in and point out the kind of the, the logical holes in my argument, I, I'm well aware these situations are not exactly like for like and that all those Irish people in Australia have travelled there with a visa. There's no question of them seeking asylum. But I would say that's not because we're inherently more law-abiding than other people around the world or that we are inherently more respectful of migration rules. Just look at how many Irish people went to the States for decades on holiday visas and then never left. Thousands and thousands, literally thousands and thousands of us were illegal economic migrants to that country. And the reason that young people today from this country are not illegal economic migrants is they're enjoying the dividends of living in a wealthy and well-functioning Western democracy. When our young people want to make a better life abroad, They fill out an online form and they pop down to an embassy for a visa. But if you're living in a dysfunctional society under an oppressive regime without a leafy road full of red brick embassies for you to visit, deciding to become an economic migrant is a lot less straightforward. But fundamentally, both groups are doing the same thing. They're leaving their home for a better life somewhere else in another country. Now, they're not the same. I accept that. And this isn't some sort of argument for open borders or or, or anything like that. But there are similarities. And all I'm saying is that we do well to remember those similarities when we talk about economics in or economic migrants in this country uh, being kind of almost an entirely negative thing. That's the language in which they're presented. We'd remember, do well to remember all the economic migrants we are exporting at the moment. Uh, 087-1400-106 is the number if you want to get uh, in touch. Uh, The reason I mention all of that is we're continuing this conversation now because uh, Professor Shane Higgins is with me. He's the master of the National Maternity uh, Hospital. Uh, And Professor Higgins, I understand the the sheer scale of of people in this country who are seeking to make a a better life uh, abroad has consequences uh, for people like yourself who have positions unfilled, for whom kind of living and working the emphasis on living in the capital is problematic. Oh, good evening, Kieran. Um, yeah, um, I suppose we've had always had, and for many years, we've had problems with uh, recruiting and retaining staff. Um, you mentioned um, our young graduates going abroad, and there's a lot of nursing and midwifery staff would, particularly following the pandemic, would take the opportunity to travel, uh, gain new experiences and new life skills and bring them back when they do eventually come back. But I suppose there's been a very long tradition of, of, of clinicians traveling abroad for fellowships. I mean, I'm one of several consultants working in this hospital who spent time in Australia training 
and um, bringing back those skill sets to, to, to offer them to our, our patients here in Dublin and Ireland. So we've had problems. I think what we're seeing at the, what we're at the pinch point at the moment is just the cost of living, the cost of accommodation in Dublin, and that the article today referred to staff having to commute several hours to work on a mm. daily basis because they just can't afford to live in Dublin. And as a consequence of that, then they're choosing to relocate to hospitals that may be closer to where they come from. And, um, and those, those hospitals are benefiting from the, the graduates that we train here in hospitals like the National Maternity Hospital. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right to point out those, you know, people who, who, who travel as part of, you know, broadening their experience, their educational experience, their professional experience. Others will just have the, the wanderlust and that will always be a feature of life. Um, yeah. in this country and elsewhere. I, I guess the problem we see now is, is that the prohibitive cost of housing, particularly in the capital, means I understand that you've got vacancies that you can't fill, that you struggle to fill, that those people with those long commutes ultimately say, listen, I won't take up that permanent post. I'll, I'll work closer to home. Yeah, many of them do. I mean, we, I think, it, you know, I, I would stand over a statement like this is a great place to work and I think I'm quoted in the article as saying that so we do have staff that are willing to do that but um, it, 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 it's a difficult job juggle to juggle and balance with, with kind of you know travelling two hours working a long shift and then travelling two hours again so yeah the staff are making lifestyle choices and saying I can get the same salary uh, cheaper cost of living cheaper accommodation and avoid all the transport costs by moving to a hospital that's closer to home and uh, one would suspect that, you know, once uh, services are, are, are moved a few kilometres down the road to the St. Vincent's Hospital site, that the picture will be much the same. It's not a different economy or economic situation that close by. So so what what is the solution, Professor Higgins? I don't even well, talk about well, a, a Dublin waiting maybe as part of it. Well, again, that's one of the things that I mentioned in the article is that there is such a thing as a waiting allowance. I think it, 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 it's applied in London. If you have to live and work in London, then there's a, a waiting allowance to, to allow you to do so and to help you in doing so. I think that's certainly one consideration for um, staff, uh, such as midwives and nurses, but it would probably need to be applied to others. But what we're also doing and what we have done is we've taken an initiative to rent three houses on a, on a, on a bus corridor to the hospital so that staff who, particularly staff, and, and, and at the moment only staff who come to work at the National Maternity Hospital from overseas, will have the first three months of their accommodation in this rented accommodation so they don't have to worry about things like that and, and, and until they find their feet. That's interesting. And, and, and sorry to cut across you, is that something no, that no. You, you see in other hospital managers, other masters uh, do. I've certainly spoken to people working in other sectors of the economy who've had to do this, particularly in the, the, the private side of the economy. Well, I'm not aware of other hospitals renting accommodation. Um, I mean, obviously, the cost of the accom- it's cost neutral to the hospital because the staff will pay the, the rental cost themselves. But w- this is something that we felt might have been a problem for staff coming from overseas to kind of find accommodation uh, in advance of arriving here. So this is something that we've done. And it's been with the full support of the board of the hospital that, uh, that has allowed us to do this because we feel this is a, a very worthwhile initiative that will make the experience of staff who are coming here to work uh, that little bit more enjoyable when they arrive here. But what we're looking for more close by is we're looking for sort of really short-term accommodation, which will allow us to have staff come, do their shifts, which are long shifts, spend the night here in Dublin, work the next day, and then they do three long shifts a week, which then they can have just two nights in Dublin and then go home for the rest of the week. 
Uh, Aon O'Reardon is with us uh, as well, Professor Higgins, the Labour TD for Dublin Bay North, as well as the party's education and justice uh, spokesperson. Uh, Aon, I know you too have argued for a, a Dublin waiting, and maybe I should have explained what that is. It's essentially paying people a little, little bit more money than they would be paid outside Dublin, as happens in other parts of the world, like London. That's the obvious example. Yeah, I think I think governments have to consider it. It is in London for the last 100 years in various different um if you like forms, it hasn't always been the same. But about a hundred years ago, you know, the Westminster government realised that they had a they had an issue with attracting and, and retaining public servants to live and work in London. And ever since then, they've had that waging. In fact, I know uh, London-based or or English-based uh, teachers or trained teachers who come to work in, in Dublin are surprised that there isn't such a thing as a Dublin waging. So if you look at across the board in in terms of Dublin, we have teachers who are who or, you know, I know schools that are on 45% of capacity because they can't attract teachers or SNAs. Even today, we've seen figures of 164 resignations from Angarda Shia in 2023. Ten years ago, that number was 26. That doesn't all come down uh, to accommodation issues or cost of living issues, but a part of it does. And I think part of the, the, the issue is that the dynamic in Leinster House, if I'm frank about it, can a lot of it can be about rural issues in rural Ireland, and that's totally understandable and, and justifiable. And we have two blocks of TDs in rural independence and regional independence, and they're absolutely right to raise the issues. But Dublin doesn't get the same, if, if I'm honest, doesn't get the same emphasis. And it's Dublin where we can't get teachers, we can't get guards, and now from your other contributor mm-hmm. there, we can't get midwives. And so rather than... I suppose, just complaining about it, we have to sort of try and have some level of international comparators as to what happens in other jurisdictions and how, they, how, how they've addressed it. It, it would be expensive. Yeah. There's, no, there's no point in pretending it wouldn't be expensive. I mean, even just for teachers, my own calculations would be cost about 31 million. That's just for teaching. Uh, it would cost obviously more than that if we went, went across the public sector uh, and into essential services. But you either talk about that or you talk about a service, services such as essential services in health and education and, and Garish Yukana, um that are not functioning. And we can't have that. What, what impact has it had in other jurisdictions? And maybe London is difficult to compare to, given it's been around for 100 years. But but perhaps somewhere that has introduced it more recently on, on house prices in the capital. I just wonder, without providing new homes and giving people then this extra bit of money to pay for accommodation, does it not drive up the price locally? <laughs> That's my understanding is that it's been a success. And, and speaking to teacher unions from the UK, they say it has been a success. It's, it's managed to keep teachers in London. It's managed for, to, to uh, make London that little bit more attractive. If people are making the consideration to leave London, but they go, well, I'll lose my, my London allowance. I'll lose that waiting. Uh, it's quite generous. I have to be, I have to say from the London context, I'm not sure if it could be as generous, generous here, but certainly if how generous being, is it? Just for people who are listening, I wonder how much also, it might be worth. It, it, depending on where you will live in London, but depending on how close you are to the to the to the city centre, it can be in the in the four to five thousand mark. Um, but that depends on the on the type of work you do. It depends on your senior seniority. It depends how many years you've been doing it. And as I say, it depends on your on your distance from the city centre. But if you need social workers, if you need teachers, guards, and other public servants, and you want the city to survive, well, then this is the type of conversation you need to have. It's not the only answer. I'm not pretending if you're being in a Dublin allowance that everything will be will be fixed. But I think certainly it should be part of the conversation because otherwise we're going around in circles and we're and we're losing guards, we're losing teachers, and we're and we're losing 
criticizing other public servants who are just saying it's just not sustainable for me to live in Dublin anymore. And that comes down yeah. to issues such as uh, as getting assessments for children. Uh, you know, though it, it all comes down to that. Can't attract, can't retain, mm. can't afford to live in Dublin. This is not the first time you've made this argument. It's not even the first time you've made it on this show. Uh, has, there, <laughs> uh, has there ever been any appetite from the Department of Finance from this government to take you up on it? No, but I mean, that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep going on it. I mean, uh, I know the Minister for Education said that if you added in the rate of what the London allowance is to the basic teacher salary in, uh, in Ireland, you'd basically come up with the same comparator as uh, as exists in, in the UK. So, so she wasn't particularly warm on the idea. But I, I think it's for us to make the case because otherwise we could do this and it's not cheap. But what's more expensive is having schools that aren't staffed, is having hospitals that aren't staffed, is having, you know, guard stations which aren't staffed. And and if you have that, but then you have people who lose faith in Dublin. And if you lose faith in Dublin, lose faith in the capital city, well, then that has a, a lot of knock-on effects. And look, I've been in a school in, in West Dublin uh, a number of, before Christmas and they were operating at 45% capacity. There's 800 uh, teaching posts which are vacant in the primary school system that's only going to get worse and young teachers i know after the pandemic there's a particular pinch point now because after the pandemic people went you know abroad to spread their wings and to uh, and i can understand that after two years being cooped up here in ireland but now we're at the point now where you know it's really at a crisis level across the public service so i would like for the various ministers they didn't do it in the last budget but maybe to have a proper feasibility study as to how much it would cost, uh, what the rationale is, what the international experience is, and if it would work. And if they do that rationale, that, that, that study, and it comes up short as to what I would expect, well then, okay, but at least we've had the conversation, at least it hasn't been pushed to one side, because I do come back to the point that far too much of the Beijing Leinster House is imbalanced it's based around rural Ireland and regional Ireland, and that's all justifiable. But when it, the city centre, you know, in Dublin, can't attract or keep or retain public servants, well, then that's a crisis. Aon hey, on Labour TD for Dublin Bay North, as well as the party spokesperson on education and justice, Professor Shane Higgins, Master of the National Maternity Hospital at Hollis Street. Thank you both very much uh, for joining me here on the uh, show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.